The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Good afternoon. It's just gone 10 past 12 on this, the 30th of January, 2023. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. Today's conversation is slightly different to what we normally do. There's so much happening in the legislative space and within law enforcement in South Africa that I thought it would be important for us today to recap what the different units are, what their roles are, and what legislation is in place for us to be able to see a difference in the fight against crime in South Africa. It's been a long time coming. But certain amendments have been made in terms of legislation, primarily aimed at curbing money laundering and combating the financing of terrorism. And this has an effect on all crimes that involve money laundering. Money laundering can be proceeds of crime from fraud, from corruption, from Ponzi schemes. And it's time that the state took a very serious look. If you have any questions regarding uh, law enforcement agencies' roles, um, the role of the different prosecutorial Divisions within the MPA and the NDPP Feel free to contact me today You can send us an SMS on 34519 You can telegram us on 0618951019 Or you can tweet us at FM. I'd like to remind you the views expressed on the show Aren't necessarily those of FM. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs The trusted name in roof waterproofing The fight against crime and corruption is one of the African National Congress's six priorities for 2023. Well, that's according to the ruling party's 8th of January statement. But what are they actually going to do? We are seeing unacceptable levels of crime in South Africa, and we're seeing that it is growing. And the waiting period between the detection of a crime and a crime coming to court is becoming longer in time, that is if the case even gets to court. The latest crime statistics are cause for concern, especially murder figures, which are the most reliable indicator of serious violent crime levels. Since their low point in 2011-2012, the number of murders has increased by a whopping 62% in the 2021-2022 period. That is a frightening statistic. And to make matters worse, We have a low level of detection. Detection in respect of murders has dropped to just 14.5%. So what do we mean by detection? Detection means that a case is opened and investigated, suspects are identified, it's taken to court. 14.5% of murders in South Africa are currently being detected. That is frightening. When one looks at the figures in respect of detectives, one starts seeing that there's a massive problem. Detective numbers have dropped in the last five years by almost a thousand. In other words, there are a thousand less police detectives on the streets working out of stations and specialized units investigating crime. What does that mean? The loss of 989 detectives during this period means that their docket load gets added to the docket load of the remaining detectives. It also means that all new cases come in get added to those detectives' ever-increasing load. 
Now, I can't tell you how despondent this makes victims of crimes. Victims of crimes expect speedy justice. South Africa has a, a, a victim charter, which was established after 1994. And I want to chat a little bit more in the show about the victim charter. So we're going to come back to that just now. But I think it's very important for us to understand the different roles that are played by the different agencies in South Africa. So let's start off with the most obvious of all the law enforcement agencies, the South African Police Service. These are the guys that we see patrolling our streets, the guys we go to at the police station to report a crime, to get a document commission, to report an accident. They're the ones that we come into contact with the most. The South African Police Service is responsible for a lot of elements within the the crime-fighting arena. They are responsible for visible policing, they are responsible for crime prevention, and they are also responsible for the investigation of crimes that aren't escalated to special units. The South African Police Service is most probably the biggest employer within the public sector, and also has the highest budget. If one looks at its budget for the last financial year, it was 100 billion rand. Now, 100 billion rand sounds like a lot of money, but when I break it down for you a little bit later in the show, you're going to realize that 100 billion rand doesn't stretch that far, especially when it's not prioritized correctly. People all talk about the Hawks. Well, who are the Hawks? What are the Hawks? The Hawks are a unit that came into effect After the disbanding of the Scorpions. But unlike the Scorpions, the Hawks are not an independent agency as part of the the, the justice cluster forming part of prosecutorial-led investigations through the NPA, like the Directorate Special Operations, which was the actual name of the Scorpions, was. The Hawks, whose official name is the Directorate Priority Crime Investigation, are just that, the Directorate to Investigate Priority Crimes. And they're not getting to investigate priority crimes because they bogged down with a lot of other cases that have been added to their caseload. You can't walk into a Hawks office and open a case. Generally speaking, if there is need for an inquiry to take place, they can register an inquiry and they can investigate um, potential threats, be it from a financial crime perspective, an economic perspective, or crimes against the state. But generally speaking, the Hawks get cases that are escalated to them via the police stations. So it's very important to understand that. And the Hawks are not a massive unit. We're going to talk about their capacity issues a little later on as well. And then the third most important agency, of course, is the National Prosecuting Authority. That's the prosecutorial authority that's responsible that once a case has been detected, that it can go to court, it can be enrolled, suspects can apply for bail, or they can be held without bail. Until such time as they plea, the matter is then set down for trial, and it's the NPA's responsibility to bring justice, which is why the Victim Charter is so very important, because it includes aspects of the, the role of the NPA. So we've covered SAPs, the Hawks, the NPA, and when we come back, I want to discuss more about the Asset Forfeiture Unit, the Special Investigating Unit, the Investigating Directorate, and the Financial Intelligence Center. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. Today we're discussing the different units, the authorities that have been established by Acts of Parliament, and the legislation that aids in the combating of crime in South Africa, and the problems that our crime-fighting agencies are 
faced with. A little bit later in the show, we'll be chatting more about the Victim Charter, and I think it's a very important conversation that needs to be had, and that is the the re-victimization of victims in scams. Re-victimization by law enforcement members that call victims stupid or greedy. Re-victimization by syndicate members who share victim details with other syndicates. And re-victimization by private organizations that claim to be successful in obtaining financial restitution without having the ability to do so. We're seeing this as a major, major problem worldwide, especially with the increase in cyber-related crime as we move further and further into the so-called digital age. Before we went to break, we spoke about the role of SAPs, the Hawks, and the Prosecuting Authority. Now I want to chat more about other units. The Asset Forfeiture Unit was established as per the act known as the Prevention of Organized Crime Act. Prevention of Organized Crime Act, or POCA as it's colloquially known, was promulgated in 1998, and as a result of that act, the AFU was established in 1999 by Willy Hoffmeyer. The Asset Forfeiture Unit works hand-in-glove with the Hawks, with other investigative units, as well as with the NPA to ensure that funds that have been stolen are recovered, that they are traced, and that they are frozen. And this may sound very simple, but at times it's not. It's a complex process. It's a very detailed process that looks at money threat analysis, where monies have gone, and proving that those monies have been used as proceeds of crime to benefit the criminals, their friends, their proxies, their nominees and companies that they may set up to launder that money. A very important unit, the asset forfeiture unit. Special investigating unit is often in the media because of late we saw with the lotto money that was dispersed um, irregularly to to various people, including allegedly to a very famous um, actor and, and, and social activist, Arthur, is that The SIU is perceived to be a unit that is really at the forefront of prosecuting crime and getting monies back into the coffers. But the reality is the Special Investigating Unit is limited in what it's able to do. The Special Investigating Unit was formed in around about 96-97 by Judge Willem Heath on instruction by then-President Nelson Mandela. It was initially called the Heath Special Investigating Unit, and the role of this unit was to investigate fraud and corruption in the Eastern Cape. They were so successful through the use of their special tribunal that the unit was expanded to include most of South Africa and renamed the Special Investigating Unit. The reason why I say there their their role is so important but they don't do as much as one would expect is simply because they can only operate under presidential proclamation. In other words, they are a unit set up to investigate crimes that the president wants to see investigated. So you as Joe Blog cannot go to them knock on their door and ask for them to investigate. And their mandate is specifically to investigate crimes that have impacted state owned entities, state departments, through fraud, through corruption, and, of course, through state capture. I must note that they are an exceptionally effective unit. The SIU has been effective since its inception. They have had challenges in terms of capacity over the years. At one stage, there were up to 2,500 members, a lot of which were contracted and consultants. They then dropped to around about 500, but a very important unit with far-reaching powers when working together with the special tribunal. We then have the investigating directorate. Again, a specialized unit, a small unit, a unit that was created 
in the wake of the Zondo Commission findings. And their role at this point in time under Advocate Andrea Johnson is to investigate the findings of the State Capture Commission. In other words, the State Capture Commission wasn't sufficient to prosecute those that were involved in the plunder of the state. It means that the findings have to be investigated in such a manner that they will become admissible in court to prove the elements of a crime. And hence the ID was created. It's an incredible unit. The investigating directorate is there doing much the same as what the Scorpions would have done with far less capacity and far less people. They are reliant on people being seconded from the Hawks and people being seconded from the NPA. And that in itself starts to cause a problem because once you hear about secondment, one asks, what about the cases that those members were already investigating that may necessarily not be state capture related? And therein lies a massive problem. A lot of members are given matters which are deemed priority matters that could be state capture, they could be tender fraud, they could be PPE fraud. They're also carrying dockets where individuals or private companies or small and medium-sized enterprises have been prejudiced. And where do those dockets land up? You can't expect a member to be told, this docket is a priority docket, work on the others when you get a chance. It just doesn't work that way. But unfortunately, that is the expectation right now of these members that are being seconded, to carry on working their existing cases as well as to concentrate on priority cases. The last unit I want to chat about is the Financial Intelligence Center, an incredible unit created in terms of the act known as FICA. Now, when I say FICA, everybody immediately thinks, oh, my word, that's the, the, the act that made it so difficult for me to open accounts, to go to banks, to go get credit, because I had to take long proof of address. I had to take long proof of who I was. Well, that's just a small element of why FICA was actually established. The prime reason why FICA was established was to create the Financial Intelligence Center. And the Financial Intelligence Center was created specifically to be able to monitor flows of funds, to be able to enact anti-money laundering legislation, and to receive from banks and other reporting organizations suspicious activity reports or suspicious transaction reports that are received. It's a very important unit. And I want to expand a little bit on why it's so critical. Money laundering is when the funds are now used and dispersed through what we call mingling and layering into other accounts, into assets such as properties, into assets such as cars, into other form of bank accounts worldwide. And there, if we want to collect money to give back to the state that has been plundered or to give back to individual victims that have been victims of fraud or Ponzi schemes, etc., it comes down to units such as the Financial Intelligence Center working hand-in-glove with units such as the Asset Forfeiture Unit, together with the National Prosecuting Authority, to ensure that those funds are effectively traced. South Africa right now is at a catalytic moment in respect of where we're going to find ourselves in the next three to five years in the way in which we handle fraud, corruption, organized crime, and violent crime. When we come back, I want to talk to you about what's been happening in the world of FATF. FATF is the Financial Action Task Force. It's an international organization that wants to place South Africa on the gray list because they don't believe we've done enough to combat money laundering, terrorism funding, etc. This conversation is going to continue just now. 
Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. On the 6th of January 2023, the National Treasury issued a media release regarding the President signing into law several important pieces of legislation primarily aimed at curbing money laundering and combating the financing of terrorism. The legislation signed into law was the General Law's Anti-Money Laundering and Combating Terrorism Financing Amendment Act, uh, the Protection of Constitutional Democracy Against Terrorism and Related Activities Amendment Act, known as POC Datara. Now, the signing of these critical pieces of legislation add to the arsenal of the state law enforcement and prosecutorial bodies in the war on fraud, corruption, money laundering, proceeds of crime, and, of course, to bolster their effort to strike at those who have benefited from state capture, PPE fraud, tender fraud, and the collusion that took place between public sector and private sector and, and public, pr- public and private sector actors to plunder the public purse. The signing into law of this legislation came off the back of the imminent grey listing of South Africa by the Financial Action Task Force, FATF, based on the mutual evaluation report which was finalised and published by FATF in October 2021. That's an extract from an opinion piece that I have written for the South African Institute of Taxation. When we go to that media release that was made by the um, Treasury on behalf of the President when he signed this into effect on the 6th of January of this year, the media release said that the General Laws Amendment Act and Pactatara Amendment Act addresses 15 of the 20 deficiencies relating to the adequacy of laws and legal frameworks related to the 40 FATF recommendations that were identified in the mutual evaluation report. The remaining five deficiencies will have or have been addressed through non-statutory initiatives. In addition, the South African authorities have completed a second round of assessments of money laundering and terrorist funding risks and developed a national strategy to address these. The South African regulators have also developed policies and issued directives and guidance to further strengthen aspects of money laundering, terrorist financing and proliferation financing risk management by financial institutions. South African authorities are the view that these actions address almost all of the technical compliance deficiencies that were identified in the mutual evaluation report, and that government will continue to improve the effectiveness of South Africa's anti-money laundering regime. It sounds good. We've spoken about legislation on the show in the past. We've spoken about the incredible legislation that South African has. We look at PRECA, the Prevention Combating Corrupt Activities Act. We look at POCA, the Prevention of Organized Crime Act. We've now got POCDATARA, um, the Amendment Act, which looks at money laundering. It looks at terrorist financing, etc. And one says to oneself, well, with all this wonderful legislation in place, why are the criminals roaming? Why are we seeing such a massive uptake? in respect of financial crime, and not just that, violent crime as well. And that comes down to, in my opinion, the willpower to actually enforce this legislation. Because when one reads this, and I'm going to go back to my opinion piece, I wrote there, it appears that the South African government has taken cognizance of the massive financial and reputational damage that will come with graylisting by FATF and has put in place measures in the hope that the decision to graylist South Africa may be reversed. I think it's too late. I think the horse has bolted. I think the graylisting is going to happen. 
I go on to say that South Africa has an abundance of legislation to combat financial crime, and although this new legislation has added more tools in which to counter money laundering and terror funding, it is critical that there's infrastructure and capacity amongst the state law enforcement agencies to achieve the objectives of stemming illicit financial flows and ensuring restitution of funds that were misappropriated. So, what are we talking about here? Whose responsibility is it? It's the state's responsibility. If the state gets a packaged product that shows how a crime took place, who the perpetrators were, where the money went, they should be able to act on this. The problem we have right now is an abundance of applicable, enforceable legislation, but we don't have the capacity within the state to carry this out. And what do I mean by that? When I started the show, I said that murders are up a whopping 62% for the period 2021-2022 compared to 2011-2012. What I also mentioned in the opening is that in the last five years, we've lost 1,000 detectives. So there's more crime, less detectives, less detectives carrying more dockets. But it gets worse than that. When we talk about the budget constraints that these units have, one then starts seeing a true picture emerging of whether or not the state is actually serious about prioritizing all crime investigation, the clawback of funds that have been misappropriated, and the way forward to try limit the amount of crime that our South African citizens are exposed to. When we come back after the break, I'm going to be chatting more about the budget constraints and the reality of what's happening out there. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. So you can get those warm, fuzzy feelings about being part of High FM with their helplines. They have really made such a difference. And now wanting to help the children in South Africa with academic support, it shows that this is a station with its heart in the right place. Before I continue, I just want to go to our message board. Um, I got corrected for saying uh, catalytic earlier, or catalytic, it should have been cataclysmic. I do apologize. I do get a little bit worked up, and uh, it's cataclysmic, not catalytic. Thank you for pointing that out. Another of our listeners says, it's time to arrest and extradite Michael Ash from Israel back to South Africa, as well as to arrest those who assisted him. Yeah, that was quite a, a story. And that story is carrying on. Um, despite what you've heard, um, that case is very active amongst the Hawks. It's very active amongst the NPA. But because of capacity issues, COVID, and everything else that's happening around us, it's one of those cases that gets attention, but I don't believe gets enough attention. And that can be said 10,000 times over with regards to the amount of cases in South Africa that aren't getting the right attention from the authorities. The question is, are the law enforcement agencies themselves to be blamed? I don't believe so. I've worked with many investigators, many prosecutors from all the units that we've mentioned earlier today. And I can tell you now, there's a passion. There's an appetite by them to find these criminals to lock them up. The problem is they have inadequate resources. There are too many cases, too few members, too little cars, too little equipment, and that is having a knock-on effect. So let's talk about the numbers. When the investigating directorate was first established, 
the budgets, and this is just a few years ago, this is just following the, the um, Zonda Commission, the budget was a paltry 100 million rand per annum. Okay, this has subsequently been increased to 350 million rand for the 2023-2024 period. So 350 million rand for the investigating directorate to investigate all that has come out of state capture. Now, if you remember at the beginning of the show, I said the South African Police Services last financial year got 100 billion rand for the policing budget. 100 billion rand. Now remember, South Africa's designated premier investiga- investigation agency, the Hawks, the DPCI, forms part of the police. How much do you think they were allocated in respect of the police budget? Now remember, the police budget was 100 billion rand. Well, the Hawks, who have to investigate all priority crime in South Africa, were allocated just over 2 billion rand. That's 2% of the police budget. Now, 2 billion may sound like a lot. 2% of the budget of a 100 billion, okay, maybe not so much in the greater scheme of things. But then you compare it to another department within the police, the VIP protection unit. They received 3 billion rand. They got 3% of the annual police budget. So this begs the question, where do the state's priorities lie? If our premier investigation unit, the Hawks, the DPCI, get just 2 billion rand, but the VIP protectors, the blue light brigades, the guys tasked with looking after whoever in government finds themselves important enough to have a blue light brigade, get a billion rand more, that suggests to me that government isn't showing that they are serious enough about combating fraud and corruption in South Africa. And this is very important for all of us. Now, my opinion is that government shouldn't look at it as an expense because if you have a clawback of funds from organized crime, from financial criminals, from those that have been engaged in state capture, that money can be effectively used to fight fraud, to fight corruption, to fight organized crime, to fight violent crime, to fight GBV, to enable the victim charter to do what it promises, what it sets out to promise in any case. And we're going to read the Freedom Charter in a few minutes. The victim charter is so very important to us. It forms part of everything that our country is based on. We had a freedom charter that was established in 1955. We have a Bill of Rights that came into effect in our new constitution in 1996. And we have the victim charter that takes from the freedom charter. It takes from the Bill of Rights. And it speaks to the rights of a victim and how important those rights are. We talk about restorative justice. We talk about victim-centric investigations and prosecutions. But we don't see this happening. What does government have to do? Government has to invest more money within the sphere of investigation and clawback. They cannot think of it as an expense. They have to think of it as a investment because it's an investment that's going to have an incredible return on investment if they capacitate people effectively. And how are they going to capacitate that? Well, you've got all these units and all these units work very well, but they're not working well Together, because they don't have a central nodal point. We should have a super complex. With the amount of crime that we have in South Africa, there should be a complete super complex, which is a nodal point, where you have SARS sitting, you have the FIC sitting. We have everybody sitting there from the Hawks down to the investigating officer, down to the prosecutors, that they can work as an interagency, multi-jurisdictional body with one ultimate aim. 
and that is to not just fight the potential of future crime, but to try get through this massive backlog. We're sitting with a backlog now that's compounded by the likes of COVID, that's compounded by priority crimes such as tender fraud, PPE fraud, and, uh, of course, state capture. But we should not allow for other cases to go unchecked. It's so very important. I want to talk to you about your rights as a victim of crime. The Victim Charter says, number one, you have the right to be treated with fairness and with respect for dignity and privacy. Number two, you have the right to offer information. Number three, you have the right to receive information. Number four, you have the right to protection. Number five, you have the right to assistance. Number six, and very importantly, which reads together with number seven, the right to compensation and the right to restitution. We will only achieve what's set out in the Victim Charter if we are able to capacitate our law enforcement and prosecutorial agencies. And we'll only be able to do that if there's a political willingness to do so. Now, I don't want to make this about politics, but next year is an election year. We are in an election cycle, and we're going to see a lot of promises. Those promises haven't been kept. Crime is at an all-time high. All of us know victims of crime. We need to make a difference. We as South Africans need to speak with one voice. We need to put aside our petty differences and understand that if we don't do something now, and like the the, the listener pointed out, this is time for a cataclysmic change in our thinking and our, in terms of our actions towards crime and also the way in which we treat victims. My name is Chad Thomas. You've been listening to Confidential Brief. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'll be back same time, same, t- uh, same place next week. Next week's discussion is slightly different, and we're going to be chatting more about how different organizations, associations, and civic-minded people are coming together to make a difference in South Africa to try help capacitate the state and to also help victims within their communities. So join me next week, 12 o'clock, right here on High FM. Thank you so much.